Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. We're all searching for life, not just physical life. We have that. We have breath in our lungs, blood pumping through our veins, but we don't want to just simply live. Like we want to live. We want a full, meaningful, satisfying life. And in this search for the good life, we have been told all our lives that if we find freedom, we'll find this life. This idea is even baked into our country's DNA. Our Founding fathers famously put it this way in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the life we're after, isn't it? And the world tells us that we find this life when we find freedom individual autonomy, the ability to express ourselves however we so desire. So we're on this journey to self, self self-realization. Who am I? Am I a boy or a girl? Am I an Enneagram 6 or a 1? Self-expression. What do I desire? How do I express myself creatively or sexually? Self-actualization. What's my purpose? How can I make a difference? What am I called? to do. And on this quest for life, we're skittish towards institutions, towards uh, authority figures, because they might squelch our individual autonomy. Now, in this search for life, we're really familiar with the way of the world because for many of us, this is the way we've been living. And when I've lived this way, what I found is that it was exhausting. I don't know about what your experience has been, but I would try and try and and try that and and, and buy that and read this. And and what I found is that I burned a lot of calories, like like I did a lot of things. But if I like look down, I, I basically was running on a treadmill of more, faster, better. I mean, how's it going for you? Like, are you finding life the world's way? If you're exhausted, by the way you've been living, then I'm glad you're with us today because we're starting a new series. And in this series, we are gonna discover the true way to new life. A way that has been laid out for millennia, but we have somehow brushed aside. But when we live it, when we experience it, we actually find true, meaningful, satisfying life. Now this series, U-Turn, is all about discovering a better way, the way of Jesus, as he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous teachings. And the journey's not gonna be easy. I'm just gonna warn you on the front end, like the way of Jesus confronts the way of the world. He's gonna challenge us with the words that he says. He's gonna challenge us with the invitation he poses, the life he calls us to live. But if we live the way of Jesus, we will find life. 
So if you got a Bible with me, with you, excuse me, I would encourage you to grab it. It could be a physical copy, digital copy. Turn with me to actually Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25 today. It's a little before the actual Sermon on the Mount, and I'll explain why here in a moment. But if you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along in our free church app. You can get that just by searching Connect Church Community in your phone's app store. Now, in the app, Click the message notes tile, and you will be able to have access to the passage we're reading here in just a moment. Now, I mentioned we're reading Matthew 4, 18 through 25, and the reason is that, sure, we're going to get to the, the teaching of Jesus that he is so well known for in the Sermon on the Mount, but what actually preceded that in his ministry was what we're about to read. It actually starts with an invitation that he extended to follow him. At this point in his ministry, it's very early on, at least in Matthew's account, and you see about 40 days prior, a month and a half prior, Jesus was baptized. And it was a glorious experience, followed by a really challenging one. After his baptism, he went to the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was praying, he was fasting, and Satan took that as an opportune moment to try to tempt Jesus and upend what he was called to do. But Jesus held strong, and Matthew, one of Jesus's friends and followers, records how Jesus then launched his ministry, and Matthew recorded it this way in Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, not only was this how Jesus launched his ministry, this message of repentance, this message of the kingdom of heaven, it characterized his message, his teaching, and his ministry through and through. And it's his invitation to us today. So we're going to jump in and we're going to see what this invitation is. But first, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask God to speak to us right now in a personal way. God, you are so good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to open it together. Would you please speak to us? Would you invite us to know you more as we get to know Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So, growing up, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Whether it was baseball, soccer, tennis, it didn't matter. Like, I just wanted to play sports, have fun doing it, and then be rich and famous as a result. That was the good life in my mind as a 10-year-old. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe you wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, an actress, or, or something. But you had this vision of what life would be like, what the good life would look like. Well, for a Jewish boy, 2,000 years ago, the dream was to be a disciple of a rabbi. You see, at the age of six, Jewish boys would start their schooling. 
or should I say synagogue. It started with Bet Sefer, House of the Book. And in this four-year period, these Jewish boys would memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, if you've read any or all of those books of the Bible, you know how challenging this would have been. From blueprints to genealogies to history to law, these books covered it all. And Jewish boys would memorize this. Now, at the end of those four years, when they're 10 years old, it, the cream of the crop would continue on in what was called Bet Talmud. This was the house of learning. And what they would do is they would continue to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Basically, all of this in our Bibles. So they're memorizing the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, and then upon graduation, these now 14-year-olds, if they were the best of the best, they would apply for Betman Rash, House of Study. And the way they would go about this is they would approach a rabbi, and they would ask the rabbi if they could follow him. If the rabbi was so inclined, he would extend an invitation to them, come, follow me. The words every Jewish boy longed to hear, but very few ever did. So we've got Peter, Andrew, James, and John in this passage, and they are fishermen, which by the very nature of this means they didn't make the cut. We don't know where they dropped out in their schooling. We don't know why they dropped out, what tests they flunked. We don't know. All we know is that they were not smart enough. They were not good enough. Now, I never flunked out of school, but I can relate to the feeling of not being good enough. In school, my legs would shake and my breath was short when I had to give a class presentation. In college, I got to play tennis, but all I did was lose, 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 no matter what. Even now, there are days where I feel like I'm not a good enough husband or a, a good enough dad, not even a good enough pastor at times. N Reading this account of Jesus, calling his first disciples to follow him, gives me hope though. Because these guys, Peter, Andrew, James, John, while they weren't good enough, Jesus invited them to follow him. And Jesus has invited me to follow him too. And you know what the good news is? Jesus invites you to follow him. Just know that this invitation of Jesus is an invitation to change direction from fishing to fishers of men, from what was to what could be, from the way of the world to the way of Jesus. So what we learn here from Jesus' invitation to his first followers, his first disciples, is that he invites us to turn from something good to something better, from work to following Jesus. They were fishermen. It's what they did. It's who they were. Their work is who they were. Do I dare ask, can you relate? You know, when we meet someone for the first time, after learning their name, what do we ask? What do you do? Oh, I'm an engineer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, I'm a pastor. And when we ask someone the question, what do you do? Are we really curious about their profession? Maybe, but really, we're just trying to figure out who they are. Even when we're asked this question, we don't respond, oh, I stay at home with the kids, or I start new business ventures, 
when someone asks, what do you do? We say, I am fill in the blank. Because for many of us, our work and our identity are so closely tied and linked and intertwined. It's hard to know who we are without our work. Now, these guys, they were fishermen, but Jesus is calling them to a new identity, to following him. So he invites them to turn from this way of life that they've known from fishing to now follow him. He's got new identity for them. Verse 20 tells us how Peter and Andrew responded to Jesus' invitation to follow. And it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. This was a dream come true. I mean, Peter and Andrew, they get to follow Jesus no longer. Are they going to do what they once did? Now they have new identity, new purpose before them. <clears throat> and you know what? We, we often will find ourselves uh, expressing our identity through what we do. And it gets confused when we think that we're first a lawyer, we're first a doctor, we're first a financial advisor, a pastor, or whatever. But the call Jesus in, makes here, and, and really poses to us today, is that first and foremost, we're not what we do. First and foremost, our identity is rooted in whose we are. We are sons and daughters of God. So, while we might express our identity through our work, our work is not our identity. We need to turn from our work to follow Jesus. And second, we also need to turn from family to follow Jesus. James and John were with their father Zebedee when Jesus called them. It was common for little Jewish boys to follow in the footsteps of their father when they failed to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. And here they are, and Matthew tells us that Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Family is a gift of God, and the invitation of Jesus is to join a new family. Like, we get to be a part of the family of God. So whether you love your family right now or you don't like your biological family, the invitation of Jesus is to be part of God's family. You see, no longer are we first a Flathers, a Williams, a Goldstein. First, we are sons and daughters of God. We are part of His family. And one of the things I love about the area that we live in is that it's a great place to raise a family. Like, we got a young family ourselves. We have two daughters. We have another one on the way. And we love living here. We love getting to be a part of this community. It's a great place to raise a family. But one of the things that scares me about this area is that we often idolize family. We bow at the altar of youth sports. We sacrifice time with God's family for brunch with our biological family. Work and family, they're good things. But Jesus is calling us from making good things the ultimate thing because he's the ultimate thing. We need to turn from work, from family. We need to follow Jesus first and foremost. Because the call to follow Jesus is first a call to change direction. Jesus' message was the message of repentance. Repentance is literally this idea of, of turning a 180. So you're, you're pivoting. It's the, this completely new idea. And 
he gave us this beautiful symbol of this called baptism. And in baptism, we like die to this old life of sin and we rise to a new life with him. We're cleansed of our unrighteousness and then we're, we're washed with the, the blood of Jesus. We are cleansed. We are made pure. We are clean before God because Jesus stood in our place. Baptism is a symbol of this. And Jesus is very clear that, that when we get baptized, that is the first step that we should be taking as we follow him. And uh, we'll, we'll even see that in a passage in a moment here. But first, I got to tell you, you know, where you get baptized isn't that important. I, I got baptized in a hotel pool because I was part of a church plant and that's where we were meeting. Tyler, another pastor on our team, he got baptized in an RV park pool. At Connect, we have baptized people in the rec center pool, uh, a blow-up kiddie pool, and we will often fill a horse trough on stage if somebody wants to get baptized during a service. So the location, the, the where, it, it's not important. That you get baptized if you want to follow Jesus, that's important. It's this, this visible, this outward expression of something that is happening inwardly when we repent, when we turn and follow Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, you can, you can talk to Jesus about that. You can pray. You can say, Jesus, I, I, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. And then I would encourage you, get baptized. You can find out more. You can let us know. We'd love to answer any questions you might have. And you can do all of that right through our free Connect Church app. Now, say we flip this U-turn like Jesus calls us to, we repent, we, we change direction from the way of the world to the way of Jesus. What can we expect? Like, what's the destination that we're heading towards? Well, Peter, Andrew, James, and John very quickly saw a glimpse of where Jesus was taking them. Because listen to what happened next. We're going to pick the story back up now in verses 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, in the region across the Jordan, followed him. Jesus' message was a message of changing direction. Repent. There's something better I have for you. And Jesus' ministry was all about showing what better was, showing the kingdom of heaven, or what's referred to elsewhere as the kingdom of God, where God's rule and reign is just realized by all, where there's healing from disease and sickness, where there's relief from suffering, where there is freedom for the oppressed, where the good life is found. This is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And it's not just the central theme of Jesus' teaching, it's a central theme throughout the Gospels, throughout really all of Scripture, because Jesus came to usher in this kingdom. Jesus showed the kingdom of God when he performed miracles, healings, resurrections, and the like, uh, kind of like we just read. But Jesus also shared about the kingdom of God. He taught about it in parables and, and just very blatantly in what he said. 
<clears throat> Interestingly, when Jesus taught about the kingdom, he taught that it was a present reality, which his disciples got. I mean, they, they saw it firsthand. People who had never walked walking, people who were suffering, experiencing relief, people who died, who were now raised to life. And, but Jesus also taught that the kingdom of God is a future reality, like the full expression of the kingdom of God we will all experience one day. He, he started to usher it in when he first came, but then one day Jesus said, I'm coming back and I'm going to bring it in its fullest sense. In fact, God later gave John, one of Jesus's friends and followers, a, a vision of what this kingdom of God would be like when it does come in its fullness one day. And John records it for us in Revelation 21. So I just want to read this for us. This is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of heaven. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Aren't you glad that John wrote that down? I mean, doesn't the kingdom of heaven sound amazing? But do you ever wonder, like if Jesus came ushering this in, why doesn't life look and feel like that now? Like, why is there pain and suffering and illness? Why can we have like the best day ever? And then why is it followed by the worst day ever? It's because of this nature of the kingdom. Scholars refer to it as the kingdom being already, but not yet. Like we can experience glimpses, glimmers of the kingdom here and now when, when we are healed or our friend is healed or uh, we experience freedom from something that's been holding us back. But we still are living in this world that's broken, that, that's plagued by sin. Like we also experience the side effects of that. But one day, our hope is that all the side effects of sin are going to be wiped away, completely cleared out. And we are going to experience life, the good life, as God always intended. The kingdom is already and not yet. But what does this mean for us? Like we, we're in the in-between, between the already and the not yet. Like what does this look like? Well, sure, the, the call to follow Jesus is a call to change direction. And second, it's a call to contribute. Excuse me, a call to contribute. <clears throat> we see Jesus call his disciples to contribute in that first invitation to follow him where he said this, come follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. From fishermen to fishers of men, Jesus didn't just give these guys new identity. He gave them fresh purpose, like a gust of wind in their sails. You're going somewhere. You're going to make a difference, and I'm going to empower you to do it. You see, as followers of Jesus, they're going to help others follow Jesus too. Their, their first experience of following Jesus was observing him usher in the kingdom, healing people, teaching of the kingdom. And then three years later, 
Jesus turns to them and he says, all right, guys, your turn. And he commissions them, he sends them to go and do likewise. The end of Matthew's gospel records it for us, where he famously writes this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Essentially, Jesus says, look, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I am going to give you that authority so you can go carry on the mission that you've been on with me the last three years. Like, now it's your turn. Go run. Run hard, because I'm going to give you the power, the energy to do it. As we close, can I state the obvious, which has become not so obvious? The the call to follow Jesus is a call to change direction, a call to contribute. It's not a call to consume. Consumers church shop. Jesus followers are the church. Consumers come when it's convenient. Jesus followers gather offering a sacrifice of praise. Consumers ask, what's in it for me? Whereas Jesus followers say, how can I serve? This this is convicting because not only have I been a Christian consumer at times in my life, I've even stoked this culture of casual consumeristic Christianity. As one of the pastors in our country, and because of that, I just want to say I am sorry. That That is not what we're called to. Jesus doesn't need a sales pitch. Pastors aren't supposed to be a concierge for your social life. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And you know how he did it? Being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Jesus laid his life down so your search for life can end. Follow Jesus find life. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, that's what the rest of this series is all about. We're going to dive deep into Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he outlines not just this good life, the kingdom that he's bringing, but also what it looks like to live in the here and in the now. But in the meantime, I would encourage you, join a group where you can talk about this with others, because following Jesus is way better together. You can ask questions, you can wrestle through ideas, you can share your thoughts, you can support one another. Because that is the best way to follow Jesus and the best way to engage with the teaching that we're about to see in the coming weeks from the Sermon on the Mount. So join us next time for a message on the good life, but in the meantime, find a group. Because whoever follows Jesus finds life.
Let me pray for us. God, you are so good. Thank you for the life that you invite us to live with you through Jesus. We repent now, Lord, maybe some of us for the very first time from the the way we've been living, from the, the sin that characterizes us, and we thank you that, Jesus, you invite us to follow you. That even when we, we feel we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we don't do enough good, like you extend an invitation to us to follow you. And whether we, it's for the first time today or whether it's for the, the thousandth time, we say, Lord, we want to follow you. Would you give us the strength, the, the power, the energy to do so? And as we follow you, would we see others follow you too? We ask this in your name.